I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Popping everybody, happy Wednesday, another free man weed for your headpiece today. As usual, I'm joined by my homies, Michael Padres, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir and Mr. Greg Manakis. What's going on, y'all? What's good, Taylor Gang? I'm taking it back. Greg, Greg got it last time, but I gotta I gotta stay with it. What's good, Taylor Gang? Yeah, Taylor Gang doing well, man. Doing well. Uh I'm in a surprisingly chipper mood for 9 10 p.m. on a Tuesday evening. This is so great, honestly, to see you in such a good mood because we never know, you know, like when, when we come on to the onto the stream, just in general, we don't really know how everyone's feeling in that moment. And, you know, during the season, there's a lot of things that are happening that can, you know, draw our mood one way or the other, whether it's the Twitter discourse or whatever. But it's really nice to come on here. And y'all, when I when I came into the the room, you guys were kind of just hanging out, having fun, singing some songs, talking about Pokemon. And that's the type of stuff that I live for, man. I, I was a huge Pokemon fan when I was a kid. Why was? Uh I don't well, I don't have any children. My nep- my <laughs> nephews and my niece are too young to be into Pokemon yet. So I'm excited to when I have my own kids or when they get a little bit older to kind of relive that, uh, relive my childhood through them, which would be really cool. But right now, honestly, dude, I just don't have enough time. (laughs) Okay, so here's a pro tip that I learned. You never remember everything from all the shows that you're going to rewatch with the children, like with your kids or your nephews Mm -hmm. or nieces. So the best thing to do is just remain youthful, man. Keep watching those shows. You want to tune into a few episodes of Celebrity Deathmatch? Go stream some Celebrity. Oh my God, what a throwback that is! I used to love Celebrity Deathmatch. I haven't seen that in a minute. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? You want to watch some Daria? Go find some Daria on Paramount Plus. Like I'm I'm living in like. You seem like such a Daria guy. Like without ever knowing that you've ever watched Daria. (laughs) Like if someone just asked me, "Do you guys think Adam likes Daria?" I'd be like 100. percent what, just it just, humor, it just right? feels like it fits. It's just a dry <laughs> humor, right? But like my, my my thing is the only person that can judge you that matters is you. So as long as you're chill with it, go watch whatever you want to watch, man. Throw on that Pokemon movie, Ren and Stimpy, whatever you need, man. So my girlfriend watches a lot of Scooby-Doo. Uh, yeah. So on HBO Max, she watches like the original Scooby-Doo, like almost on repeat. It's like her favorite show to kind of have on in the background. So I, I, I'm always reliving my childhood when she's doing that. Um, but I, I did have a question for you, Adam. Before we got on, you said that you give your daughter a, a ch- money for chores. And I was wondering, in where you're from, do they have a name for that? Yeah, so it's um, allowance or pocket. Okay, okay, cool. So we, call, we also call it allowance. <laughs> and that reminded me of another show from my childhood, Doug. Cause there's like a yeah, classic song on Doug. I need more allowance. You know, that so is, it's a, that it's is either allowance, like made. pocket money is more common, just like some pocket money. So just a little pocket bit money money. sounds cooler than allowance. Yeah. But yeah. Like, yeah. So she's got, got a little bank money, account, baby. But like, uh, <laughs> she has a list of chores each week and like, I'll pay her well, man. She's like, you know, she, <laughs> she, she's on the, she's on that A plus salary rating, dude. It's like, a. But she has to earn it, man, because I wanted to understand that, you know, nothing's given to you in life. So you need to go out there. If you want money, you need to earn it. I don't care if you're 11, if you're five. She's been doing it since she was about five, six. Uh, but if you're not earning it, you're not getting it. So every time you don't do a chore, that bit of money gets deducted off what you would have been getting at the end of the month. But now she's older and there's like game pass that she wants to pay for. And, mm. you know, she's like, oh, I want to save up because I want some spending money on vacation. Yeah, that was going to be my question was like, is is she like a spent or for you guys too, where you spend it right away or was it kind of, you know, save it and build towards something bigger? And I think you kind of answered it like, like so the older saved- you get, you realize how much this could go or how far this pocket money can go if you like stack it a little bit over a couple yeah. weeks. So she saves. I was never like that. And that kind of <laughs> followed me into my adulthood. And then that was, I learned some hard lessons, man, about how to manage money, right? Because I used to just get money. I'd be like, yo, how do I spend this? Or I want this magazine that I'm never going to read, but it's got a cool PlayStation 1 demo tape. So let me get that demo disc real quick. Oh, <laughs> You know, that that demo is going to take me about an hour and 30 minutes. So I'm going to need some Pringles. I'm going to need a Yoohoo. 
So let me go grab them. And then before you know it, your money's done, you've just got boxes of demo tapes and snacks, and you're like, I'm a king. And then two days later, you're like, I'm so poor. Why did I do this? And you'd make the same mistake every week. You, you who's and Pringles, the new sponsors of the show. Uh, <laughs> so what's the what's the minimum wage for chores at your house? Uh, five five pounds. So that's like what about like five dollars eighty. Okay. Okay. That's so, a, that's not bad. That's not bad. So like, is it like? Give me an example of a chore. Uh, tidy your bedroom. So the whole bedroom, it's not like, so my parents, they used to be like, all right, during the summertime to keep us busy, like, all right, every window that you wash is worth $1. Oh, no, nah, dude, you're not making money off me like that. This isn't no, like, um, on <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a flat rate, right? Yeah, this is like, you complete the entire task. And mm-hmm. of course, it's like, you're 11. You don't need to be earning 100 bucks a month after you. Can, <laughs> but, but, uh, I love that. So I it's like, that. do your bedroom or, you know, you can, uh, I don't know if you guys would call it Hoover or vacuum, but you can vacuum mm-hmm. the stairs. Obviously not stairs because she's 11, but you can do like the downstairs hallway or, you know, you can polish something on. No? Yeah, I, love, I love that. And then one, one more thing on, on this before we get into the basketball talk. We are six minutes in now. And I, I this is my favorite part of every podcast when we just talk about <laughs> nonsense for the first 10 minutes. But the adult version of what you were just talking about, saving money, the pocket money as a kid, to me, tell me if I'm wrong here, to me is like the credit card savings. You know, so for all the money that you spend in your credit card, you start earning that cash back or those rewards. You talking about like points? Yeah, points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't exist here, bro. You don't. Oh man, wait at all? Not that I'm aware of. Oh, we got to we got to talk about this off air, Adam, because I I feel (laughs) feel like it's got to exist. Because like, so for example, I get like three percent reward, so like cash back for any time I buy gas, right? So if I'm buying gas because gas was so high here in Texas and around the United States for so long, I I put all my rewards, my highest percentage, into gas. So now I have like. $800 $800 in credit card, like rewards and points. And I'm just waiting to see how long I can like go before I spend this. Cause there's a part of me that's like, Hey, you know, I could, you know, that's two months of my car payment. But I'm like, you know what, if I save it for 10 years and I have like 20, 20 like 20 K. So, so that's where I'm at. Like I've got, I've got a bunch and I've planned to use it for like other things. Like, cause I can use mine for like renting a car or for buying a plane ticket. And like, I could use a portion of it, but then it dings it in where it's like, oh, now I got to build it back up. And so it's kind of hurting me in the sense that I won't just pull the trigger and use it for actual stuff. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm going to build this up and I'm going to go to, I don't know, some remote to, Island to and ball out. And I'm going <laughs> to do an all inclusive. And like, you know, me and my girlfriend, we're going to live like Kings and Queens for a week. Like everything's on points. And like, I don't know. It's going to take a while to actually do that. I looked into it a couple weeks ago. It was, um, I was a little bit further away than I really thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure this isn't a thing here. Like credit cards are quite stigmatized here. So like, um, everyone uses debit cards. It's all debit accounts. And then like, you know, if you have a savings account, it's in an ISA or a stocks and shares, a bonds account. Hmm. Or, so like, uh, we, we don't we don't get rewarded we're english we're just expected to work and be happy that we're working <laughs> but that's what it is dude that's you, you five, take your, minute, five you take dollars flat rate and you enjoy it <laughs> yeah you go to work and if you moan you're not english so you just suck it up and work more and i'm just like no dude i don't want to do this no more let me go right now somebody <laughs> i don't know how i transition um which on, on the last episode, we were talking about something. Let's just start there. Yeah. On the last episode, we ended with me saying we were going to start this episode talking about an article from Rick Bucher. Bucher. Buker. Buker. Sorry, Rick. Um, that's the, that's the English want- pronunciation. Rick Boucher. Rick Boucher. <laughs> That'd be French, Will. Yeah, yeah, I know. I messed it up. <laughs> All I can think of is the water boy. Bobby Boucher. <laughs> <laughs> But we spoke about this where it was going to be about Jason Tatum potentially being the guy to get traded for Durant over Jalen Brown, which as I just, I need to get this out there. That is the most preposterous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And you made me use the word preposterous. So you must know that I am completely against this from the start. However, we need to discuss it for some unknown reason. How do you feel about the notion of trading Jason Tatum for (laughs) for Kevin Durant? I mean, it's never going to happen, right? We can can definitely talk about it. It's never, ever going to happen. 
to me, that was more of just, you know, content is pretty dry in the summertime. They're talking about Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. So how can I be different? And Rick Bucher decided to write the article advocating for trading Jason Tatum. Uh, to me, this is off the table because I think the Celtics are just all in on Tatum. And why wouldn't they be right? He's signed a year longer than Brown. He'll be max extension eligible, is two to three inches taller, has shown the ability to be an elite two-way guy. It's easier to build an offense around, a better playmaker. We all know that Jason Tatum is special. But the one thing that I could see the argument for is if you were to make a Tatum deal, it's more about what you're not giving up, right? You don't have to give up those other assets. In my opinion, I think that Jason Tatum has more trade value than Kevin Durant. So I would be asking for another piece back from the Nets. So if if you were to make that deal, it's like, okay, yes, you can have Jason Tatum, but you're giving me Kevin Durant, and then I get to handpick whatever asset else I want, probably starting with Cam Thomas because they don't have any uh they don't have any draft picks. Just yeah. to throw this out there before you jump in, Will, Rick wasn't the one that wrote that actually postulated this. It was a GM. Uh, so okay. it was an anonymous exec- I think it was anonymous- what, three from the Eastern Conference and three I don't know if they yeah. were GM or front office people from executives from conference. Yeah. yeah but the guy that the guy that suggested trading Tatum was literally worded as a rival Eastern Conference GM so that GM is just trying to be like yo I don't <laughs> want no Tatum and KD together yeah. <laughs> you can go and give them Tatum you take KD I'm going to sleep easier at night so that's what they should do when really he's just like yeah. Sorry, and it, no, no, you're good. And I mean, Greg hit the main points. Like it's a hard and fast. No, like it's, it's, it's a really easy, quick conversation. And I think ultimately it, it flips to, you know, Jason Tatum in his current age, his, you know, where he's at as a player, where KD is at, like, like you're asking the nets for some, like, like you're no longer in a, not, not even that they're really necessarily in a position of power right now as this trade continues to linger out, but you're giving us more assets. So like you said, I don't know if that's Cam Thomas. I don't know if you're adding in Seth Curry, as Adam Taylor talked about. I don't know why I used your full name there. That was weird. But as Adam talked about <laughs> last time. Important, bro. Important. <laughs> as reported, as postulated by Adam Taylor on a previous podcast, uh, you know, you add Seth Curry to that mix. They don't have any picks. So I, I don't really know where that goes, but it, it's not a one-to-one because I think when you look at Kevin Durant and Jalen Brown and you're looking at Kevin Durant's probably a top three to five player somewhere in that range in the league, Jalen Brown somewhere in the, in the twenties, you know, Jason Tatum is maybe in the same range as, as Kevin Durant. They're, they're just about equal. And one guy is nine years younger and on his way up while the other, you have all these injury history, a lot more going on. And so it's never going to make sense in that one for one. Yes. You might be able to give up less, but as I talked about last time, I think Jalen Brown, Derek white and a pick or two is the line that you should draw anyways. So in that scenario, you're basically doing, Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant, and that's the the basis of what you're upgrading. So that that theory and that logic doesn't really equal out. So, you know, even though this rival exec may not want to see Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant together, I, I don't think there's any world in which a Tatum for Durant swap is is going to work out. I'd like to put it on record that I don't believe there's any world where Tatum gets traded for anyone. Period. Yeah, he's, you know, like Bill Simmons does his trade value list. You know, Jason Tatum, I forget where he did it recently on a podcast. I forget where he was, but there's maybe two or three guys you would even consider, and those guys aren't getting traded for Jason Tatum. So he's just, it's not happening. So this is the thing, Rob. I really enjoy Bill Simmons' podcasts. Now, do you know whenever I I moan to you guys about this every month because I'll pay for an AEW pay-per-view, and then it'll come in at like five hours long, and I have to split it over the week, right? Because I'm like, yo, I can't, I can't sit there for five hours because I just don't. Know. That's how I feel with Bill Simmons podcasts. I have to like chunk it into like a three day experience to get through <laughs> it because they're just so long. But uh, I just wanted to put that out there because I do find them incredibly fun and incredibly informative. But God, you don't, you don't change the speed. You don't go like one point two or one point five. No, because then I'm just going to hear people talking really quick, and I want to absorb what they're saying because it's information that can help you learn. And I, if I, I'm going one point two is perfect. One point five is too much for me because I agree with your point. But one point two, I think on a podcast works perfect. Really, I love it. it I've it, never it, tried. We, it. we sound way more articulate and way more intelligent at one point two. I'll tell you that <laughs> for real. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm gonna try that tomorrow. Then when I uh, when I listen to, it, I've just got to make sure I don't upload it naturally at one point two. 
Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so one thing I wrote about that should be coming out today when everybody listens, if not, it'll be out tomorrow. And it's kind of a curveball to you guys, but you know, keep you on your toes and all that. Was I've just I've been thinking a lot about what that extra role player would be in that trade scenario, right? So and what I've come to a conclusion is it can't be Grant Williams, but Boston would probably like it to be Grant Williams. And this is why his current contract situation is potentially a huge headache. Does he want more money than what you think he's worth? I, does If you don't manage to agree to a contract, does he become disgruntled for the year? Can, are you willing to pay him 40 million over four, like four, like 10 for four or 12 for four based off a one year sample size? Because for the two years before that, he wasn't the Grant Williams we saw last season. Uh, so one, would you like to trade him because of that? Because it's a headache having to deal with that entire scenario. And would another team be willing to take him? Like, would the Nets look at that and be like, yo, we don't want that headache. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's a good question. But you're trading, you're trading the KD stopper for KD. <laughs> that's what Graham Williams does. That's how, that's how he started to like earn that extra money in the playoffs was by playing great individual defense against Kevin Durant. I'm I'm kidding. Um, but I, I do agree that on your last uh, episode that you did with John Corrales, you guys postulated, you know, what Grant Williams number is going to be. And you guys came to the conclusion that if you're going to put a number like four for 60, which I think is reasonable for Grant Williams, it has to be an incentive laden contract. Um, one, because you don't want Grant playing out of his role. So one thing that you could say is like, Oh, if, if you want 60 million, you're going to have to hit, you, you maybe finish in the top 10 in corner threes made or you know finish in the top five for defense for all all nba defense something like that where grant williams has to earn his money within his role rather than trying to like ball out of his role and have somebody else pay him some some big bucks you know what i mean so that's that's kind of how i see the grant williams contract thing happening and in terms of trading grant for kevin durant um not obviously not straight up as as that extra role player as you said um, I do think that the Celtics should hang on to Grant Williams because I, I, I believe I I've always liked Grant. I was really big on Grant in his rookie year. Obviously he had a rough sophomore campaign, but he started to show a lot more than I thought he was ever capable of this season. And also he seems to be like all over Jason Tatum's social media. Like they're always hanging out together. So if you're keeping Jason Tatum and he truly is friends with Grant Williams, which he appears to be, unless Grant just like always shows up where Tatum is, he's like, Oh damn it. Grant's here again. Uh, then I, I think you want to keep Jason Tatum happy. I bet you Grant is that guy though. Grant <laughs> is the guy that like you're either not directly talking to him in the group text and like he hasn't been directly invited, but he's just by association, the guy that's going to show up. I could see that being a, a Grant Williams quality, especially as we got a little bit more glimpse into Grant Williams as he was mic'd up probably a few too many times during it, during the playoff run so that everyone was exposed to, to him a little bit more, but you know, to the question, I mean, I think the first time that the rumor came out, Adam, you and I talked about it and you know, I, I assume that that additional rotation player, if we're looking at the package being Jalen Brown, Derek white, um, that it would probably be Grant Williams or Peyton Pritchard. I think the Celtics would, would actually probably prefer it to be Peyton Pritchard because I think Grant Williams has more value, especially when you look at, uh, the, the way that this team is set up. Um, but the contract is interesting. Um, you, you know, I, I think it's really tough to gauge the the valuation. And just in a couple of days here is when they can start to have those extension talks. And I'm a little bit on the the, the lower side than, than what, you know, Greg had mentioned at, at four years, 60. I mean, if he goes out and replicates the year that he just had with added attention on him in a more, you know, with, with the expectations and he's able to meet it, I, I'd feel better about that. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm I'm looking at this as unless he's willing to take a, you know, a comfort deal. And I think I mentioned about three years, 33 years, 36 would be something right now. If the Celtics were to get that type of an extension done, I'd feel pretty solid about that. But if he wants to to play it out and, and earns that four years, 60, you know, I'm totally comfortable with the Celtics playing this out in a, you know, DeAndre Ayton light type situation um, and seeing what happens when he hits restricted free agency. But it's interesting to think about whether or not they prefer to include Grant Williams. I, my gut would say they'd, they'd like to keep him, but if it came down to the trade hinging on Jalen Brown, Derek white, two picks and Hey, we got to have Grant or you're not getting KD. 
at that point, I, I don't think I'd let it hold me up from getting a guy like Kevin Durant. And that's my biggest thing, right? It's not so much whether it hold up the trade. It's whether anybody would want to deal with that. I mean, we've just heard Greg say four for 15 a year, four for 60. Uh, when I was on with Corrales, it, was, it has to be incentivized. But then you need Grant Williams to agree to the deal being incentivized. You've got the risk of coming in too low. And then him being like, no, I'm going to prove that what I'm worth and then hit free agency at the end of the summer. Or sorry, the end of the season. You know, it's just a headache that if you do include him in the trade, another team has to kind of inherit that headache. And that could be something that isn't seen as a tangible asset because, yeah, players usually ball out in contract years, but this is a player that's going to feel slighted. He's not really going to be in his best headspace. It's just something that I've kind of been throwing around just like, is a disgruntled Grant going to be better than what he was last year? The same or worse? And is that headache worth trying to move off of, knowing that that could be the difference between good chemistry? You've already got an upset Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown filled in some type of way. If you want to listen to everybody that doesn't seem to be knowing Jalen Brown too well, apparently Jalen Brown not very happy. So you've already got that to deal with. You're on damage control. And now you've got this offer to make to Grant. And then you've got to be like, what do we think he's worth? What does he think he's worth? Coming to that agreement could become a little bit more problematic than what you could be expecting going into those negotiations. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think with Grant, you know, he, he had a heck of a first three years with the Celtics. He's proven himself to be a very, very route, valuable role player. He's not Draymond Green, but he could be PJ Tucker, you know, and if if you look around the league at how many teams wanted PJ Tucker over the last five years, it's, it's a, it's a pretty sizable amount, you know? So I think Grant Williams does have value, which is why I would probably put that number at four for 15, but I do like it probably more four for 12. And then the extra three a year is incentive laden. Um, that's the number that I would be comfortable at. And I, I don't think I would include Grant in that trade. I, I agree with Will that the hard line in the sand has to be JB Derek white and a couple picks. So, so if you, so I kind of backtracked on that a little bit into the sense that like, if it's, if it's grant, if grants the final piece holding it up while I wouldn't feel as good about it, I think that would still be a trade that, that I would, I would have to do. I try to avoid that. And I try to get them to take maybe Peyton Pritchard instead as a, Hey, this guy is a rotational piece. You well, know, to if, me, that's, if that's the, to me, I don't want to do that deal. Like I don't want yeah. to trade Jalen Brown, Derek White, and two picks for Kevin Durant. Yeah. So like that, that's kind of my thing is like I don't want to do that deal in the first place. So if you're gonna add Grant on top of that, then I'm completely out. Moving on from the the KD discussions, because we've had a lot of them. There's been a lot of them. It seems to be the only thing I can think of. Which actually, about. real quick, Adam, there was just I was just refreshing Twitter as as you guys were talking. Oh, um, Steve Bulpit just reported that Kevin Durant is expected to meet with Nets owner Joe Sy this week, as it looks like all trade talks have kind of stalled out. So, you know, maybe there could be some some new news in the next week or so on on that front. That's a fall from grace for Durant. That's like, yeah, I'm the second best player in the world or the best player, but nobody wants me. <laughs> for the right price anyways. Yeah, nobody wants me. They're not, okay, so we can move on. There's been some other news that's happened. Obviously, they've acquired, the Celtics have acquired Noah Vanley and Bruno Caboclo. And I went on to basketball reference to ensure that I pronounced that name correctly. K-U-H-B-O, emphasis on the bow. <laughs> and then club Caboclo. So I see this now. When I saw Caboclo, I was like, yeah, it's all right. You know, it's just a depth piece. If he makes it through the training camp, blah, de, blah, de, blah. Now I'm seeing this as a, a training camp battle, and it's going to be an interesting one. Which one of Caboclo or Vanley can win a roster spot? And I'm sorry to say this, Bruno, and we shouldn't be talking about you because Encanto told us not to. <laughs> but... um. Again, back to the kids' films. I'm telling you, dude, they're gold. But um, <laughs> if I have to choose between the two of them, then Noah Vonley wins hands down. Vonley's got nearly 400 NBA games worth of experience. 
a, a huge amount of them. Let me read out the numbers. I've got them right here. 339 games in the NBA, 171 starts. That's Vanley. That's over what? One, two, three, four, five, six years in the league. Bruno Caboclo, a similar amount of time in the league. 105 games. The dude could not crack a rotation. Are you Now you're coming up against Noah Vanley. that's a hometown kid that's going to be playing for the team he probably grew up like absolutely besotted with. He's going to ball out, dude, in that training camp. But Adam, Adam, hold on. I got to jump in here and defend my, my fellow countryman, Bruno, over here, my Brazilian brother. We're talking all about all of this conversation. We trading Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum to go get Kevin Durant. We just signed the Brazilian Kevin Durant. If you remember that famous, my favorite NBA draft quote of all time from Fran Fraschilla, he's two years away from being two years away from being Kevin Durant. Well, we're, we're three years behind schedule, but that that thought might not be dead, Adam. So I will, I will be damned if you're going to come on here and besmirch the Brazilian Kevin Durant. But ultimately, I think I'm with you. I don't. I mean, he looked like Kevin Durant with Sao Paulo (laughs) last year, playing in Brazil. He was averaging like 25 and 11 a game in Brazil. Came to the G League, was averaging 12 and four or something random like that. Like the production. Like I just don't think. I think he's one of those guys that his game just. I think his skill levels there, but I just don't think his game fits the way the NBA's played or the way he's asked to operate within his role. Vanley comes in. 6'10", long, you know, a rebounding guy. Like, he's he's not really a scorer. He ain't going to get you buckets. That's just not what he does. Uh, somebody that you can project to be like a weak side help defender who can rotate over and contest looks at the rim, put him in drop a little bit, but then he's going to clean the glass, averages six rebounds a game on his career. Vanley just gives you more. And I'm not neither of these guys are going to be like main major role players, you know? Like, this is like end of bench depth. But I'd feel more comfortable with Van Lee there than I would with Caboclo. Sorry. Yeah, I mean the 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 bar for end of the bench. Think about last year. You know, the bar was Malik Fitz. <laughs> like the Drew, bar is in Indiana. Yeah. So it, it's just to me, whichever guy ends up winning this spot, I think is added depth for the Boston Celtics um, in their in their twelve to fifty man roster. I do expect Von Lee to win that. It's funny when when I first heard his name. I was like, hmm, I, I haven't heard that name in a while. And it, I was like, I wonder what team he's been on. I was like, oh, he was in China. That makes sense why I haven't heard him for a couple of years. But Noah Vonley, he, he's always had some promise. The thing about Vonley, you know, he was very highly touted as a prospect. He, he had a pretty good college. I think he played one or two years and he went to IU, right, Will? Mm-hmm. He's an yeah. IU guy. Yeah, so my, I have a bunch of friends that are IU people and they were big on Noah Vonley coming out um, into the draft. The biggest thing with him is he's a little stiff, right? I mean, you watch him play, it's a, you want him to be a little bit looser, but he he has this like very upright, herky-jerky type of, of, of game. He's got an okay shot. You know, he does everything just, he, he's decent. You know, he's gonna, if, if he gets 20 minutes a game, he's gonna give you six points and five rebounds. And at the end of the bench, he's a veteran. I would like to see him, especially as a hometown kid. I think he's from Haverhill. I would love to see him on the Celtics this year. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got the the best shot between the two that we're talking. And then I think really you're looking between him, Cabin Jelly, and uh, and Luke Cornett. That's kind of the makeshift third center that the Celtics are seemingly going to roll into training camp with while waiting to see if there are better options that come onto the table, whether that's later in the season with a buyout. Is there something they can do with those smaller TPEs? You know, there's still some of the veterans that uh, a few weeks ago, Adam and I talked about Boogie Cousins and Dwight Howard. They're still floating around, so they're not off the table yet. So low risk move, bringing a guy that looks like maybe he had figured some stuff out in China. I know, um, Keith Smith had tweeted out earlier. I think he was shooting somewhere around 38, 39% from three in China. So maybe that shot, which, you know, kind of comes and goes, maybe that's a little bit more, you know, more uh, refined now in this, uh, in this next step here in his NBA career. And he's been a pretty solid rebounder, like you mentioned, you know, so as a, as a third guy, you know, as someone who's averaging five, six rebounds while only playing 15, 16 minutes a game, like that's pretty solid. So, you know, maybe he's matured a little bit and there's a way that he can carve out a role coming home as we've talked about. So I, I think Noah Von lays a, you know, a solid gamble. I think between him, Cornet and Kevin jelly, that will be kind of an, an interesting lower tier uh, preseason training camp storyline for us to be able to, to look into. 
I like the fact that you brought up TPEs because I've been waiting to say this. So everybody forgets that TPEs can be used to pick up a guy off waivers. They, they, you can use it via a trade or you can use it to pick up a guy off waivers. So part of my expectations is somebody like Vanley is going to earn themselves a roster spot. They're going to be on the team on a, on a full-time contract moving through the season and Brad Stevens will leave a roster spot open. So as we move towards the trade deadline, if anything shakes loose via waivers, you have the you have a trade exception there that you can use to claim that guy if you think they're viable. And if you don't have that guy, well, you can go and look at somebody like Kevin Jelle and convert his contract similar to what they did with Sam Hauser and Luke Cornett. Or you can go and package somebody with that, like, you know, use the TPE and then try and entice somebody with somebody that isn't playing, maybe a Vanley, maybe a Peyton Pritchard, to try and bring in an upgrade that way. So I'm kind of expecting one guy to get a roster spot and one to stay open moving towards the trade deadline. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do, do you do you want to do more on uh, Noah Vanley? <laughs> I can talk all day on Noah Vanley, bro. <laughs> I know. I saw you did 20 minutes with Tim Shields. I was, I was yeah, impressed. Yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm five, we're we're five minutes in, and I'm like, all right, let's uh, let's transition here. <laughs> I'm about to do my usual, bro. So I'm going to go back all the way back through his last season in the NBA over the next two days. I mean, that was his last season with the Knicks, his last real yeah, season. I'm he had a couple of Knicks. stops but yeah. after that. But his last season with the Knicks wasn't terrible. Played 68 games, his per 36, basically – come out to, to 12 and 11 had a, I was watching a little bit of the highlights before uh before we hopped on here you know like you know mentioned before Greg mentioned this I think like his shot is not broken it looks solid had a little bit of handle do solid rebounder uh definitely was a, a little bit stiff and I think that's probably one of the reasons why you've seen him get you know some brief looks in Minnesota Denver and in Brooklyn on his way over to China um but you know, if you look at that last season with the Knicks, which I'm looking here was 2018, 2019. You know, you hope for a little bit of maturity, and I, I just think it's a solid gamble. It's a, you know, it's a, it's nothing to write home about. But it's nice to bring a kid from Massachusetts back, give him a chance, and maybe it's his time to to shine a little bit. Feels like a little bit of a slap in the face for Nerlens Noel, right? I mean, honestly, that's that's who I want as the third center. Oh, I know sure. that's that he. I think he fits, and now he has a ton of injury concerns as as well. But I think that's the guy when we looked at before the TPE expired, where I was really hoping there's an opportunity that maybe Detroit wanted to open up some some more playing time for Jalen Duran for Beef Stew, and maybe they you know because they got Nerlens Noel in that in that um uh was it the Kemba Walker salary dump? I can't remember exactly what it was, but um but he was about nine million and that was really what I was looking at when that TPE was was gonna expire a couple of weeks ago. Um but now that would be be pretty hard to to make that work with without that TPE available. Makes me sad. I agree. I'm sad. Right. So topic wise, I'm gonna let one of you two come up with something because I'm well, done. We, we we haven't talked about uh Bill Russell at all. Do we do you want to talk about Bill Russell a bit? Yeah, I mean, we can do. We should have really done this at the beginning, but we can do it now for sure. Yeah, that's that's okay. You know, people people come for the uh, the initial conversations about nothing, and they stay for the Bill Russell talk. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I mean, my question to you guys is, you know, we were about to record the last episode as we got the news. Like literally, we were about to hit record, and then we ended up finding out that Bill Russell passed. So we didn't. We were unable to talk about it at that time because it was just so fresh and so raw. But now that we've had a couple of days to process it, my question to you is just: What has the news of Bill Russell's death caused you to do, both in your brain and in your actions, in terms of like doing your research? How did you go about processing it and um, appreciating who Bill Bill Russell was to the Celtics organization and to American society? Yeah, I mean, you know, with with Bill Russell, this is something that I tend to do with, you know, historical figures that were probably that I'm aware of, but but most of their actions took place before I was, you know, old enough to to really understand or comprehend. And I really start to, you know, take in as many stories and as many videos that, you know, talk about their lives and their accomplishments. And obviously with, you know, a guy like Bill Russell, he means so much to the Celtics organization into the city of Boston into, you know, the civil rights movement in America. And so we know his, you know, on-court resume, the two-time NCAA champion, uh, 11-time NBA champion, first black head coach in uh, North America, the NBA Finals MVP award, I think that from goes on and on and on. Just, just an amazing individual. 
And, and so for me, it starts to become just consuming as much info as I can about their lives. And honestly, I kind of then wish I had been doing while they were alive to appreciate it more. And it's a little bit of a shame that it does take, you know, him passing away to, to learn more about, you know, his story. And there's some things that I, that I had known other things that, you know, were on court, some that were off court, his relationship with Wilt Chamberlain is fascinating of how they were kind of enemies and then became friends. And, you know, there's some that believe that it was a little bit of mental warfare that Bill Russell was playing by befriending Wilt Chamberlain. And then you see them in interviews and they genuinely, you know, have this, this, this bond between them. And so it's these larger than life figures, historical figures that, we still talk about in reverence when we talk about the best players in the league, when we still talk about, you know, just, you know, you know, the, the history of this country. And these are guys that, that come up and Bill Russell was a part of, you know, so much history over the last, you know, throughout his entire lifetime that it, it's hard to put it into, you know, just a couple of articles, a couple of videos. Um, but that's really what I've been, I've been trying to do is as I, you know, do my daily scroll through Twitter, hit the different websites that I typically look to is that when I see a Bill Russell article. Don't just look at the title. Don't just, you know, skim through it, but actually sit down and try to absorb some of it and, you know, really start to look at, you know, the, the whole person that, that was Bill Russell and, and really appreciate that, you know, unfortunately it's now that he's passed and, you know, I wish it had been something I looked into more while he was alive, but, you know, I still think there is a lot that, that can be learned and understood of, of, of this great man. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I did once we stopped recording, I remember it quite clearly, was I was like, I just want to feel like I can find a way to connect with his personality a little bit more. So I remember going back and watching all of the videos, you know, just when he's he's laughing, like when he's with he's with Kobe or he's with Garnett or he's just on stage accepting an award, telling everybody he could kick their butts. And then he, that laugh comes and then like, that's so such an infectious laugh and it's like super pure. So that was kind of where I started just because then you, you feel like there's a connection. It makes you want to look into all the social, like just the social injustice issues that he faced off the floor. There's a story about when people were knocking over his trash cans, and he mm-hmm. he ended up speaking to the police. The police were saying it was um it was some wildlife. So you know he goes and gets a gun, goes back to the police like I need to register this. But if you you know if you sort out the the wildlife, then I, I'm not going to need the gun. Like the, just the battle, the everyday battles he faced, being a prominent figure in that time so like, i've started to educate myself on that more because the sports side of things you already knew right you you know the accolades you know the the selflessness that he bought it was more the the off-court stuff that to me was so fascinating because at the time what he was going through all that he was still dominating as a player still dominating as a coach and he was compartmentalizing what was happening in his day-to-day what was happening in the city he represented on the, on the basketball court. He was compartmentalizing that to one side and still being dominant when he got on the floor. So I tried to appreciate like what type of mental fortitude that would take. And to me, that's kind of a lesson in general. Like, you know, when you come to, when you come into your day, all of us are, I'm terrible for compartmentalizing like what's going on around me versus what I've got to do right now, just that winning mentality. And then obviously you're trying to educate yourself on, how he carried himself as a human being. I said, everyone he spoke to, man, he was like, I'm as proud. I couldn't be more proud of you than what I am of my own kids. Mm-hmm. Like that type of like um, encouragement is like ridiculous, man. So I try, I just tried to learn more about him as a man rather than him as a basketball player. Because I think that especially in the modern generation, we kind of dehumanize like sports stars like drastically and they're just there for entertainment so i'm trying i just spent most of my time trying to rehumanize him in my own mind yes yeah, interesting right when you you know bill russell obviously played before any of us were born so for me like he was this legend yes but i've always kind of seen him human first because i never saw him as the entertainer right i only knew him as the person um, and then, you know, we'd go back and we watch clips and appreciate Bill Russell and everyone talks about how great Bill Russell was and all that stuff. The biggest thing with, with Russell for me that this caused me to think about, and this is something Will and I have talked about both on and off air before it's come up many times over the past few years is, you know, the city of Boston and Adam, I obviously didn't grow up in Boston, but I'm sure you're aware of like the, the racist history of the city and, and of the country and everything like that. and. When, when I see just like general discourse around the city of Boston today, 
there's still some discourse that's out there that to me feels too defensive of what the city, where the city is and what the city has been, you know, where people are like, oh, this isn't a racist city anymore, blah, 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 blah. So when I think of Bill Russell and I hear all those stories of the racism that he dealt with, and then when you flash forward, you know, or flash back a couple of years to Marcus Smart, when he ended up making that great animated short of um, his experience with the racist mom after one of the games where he's driving home and he almost, I think he like comes to an intersection and almost hits them or something like that. And he ends up getting, um, getting called the M word and flipped off in front of a little kid. And he talks about how like racism is taught through generations and things of that nature. It really made me start thinking about Jalen Brown, you know, and how important Jalen is to the city as the city continues to try to better itself and the fan base continues to try and better itself. Cause the thing you always hear about Jalen Brown is moving forward. Will, will he be known best for his accomplishments on the court or off the court? And he's a heck of a basketball player. So it'd be pretty hard for him to do anything in life. That's, you know, supersedes the discourse that surrounds his on court accomplishments. But I do think that Jalen Brown is one of those Bill Russell type people that the city needs, honestly, moving forward. So when we talk about trading Jalen Brown, part of me is like, I love rooting for the guy, but part of me is also thinking about how important I think his personality and his, um, you know, his willingness to put himself out there as an activist can be for this city. Uh, so that really, when I thought about Russell, it kind of led me down a whole rabbit hole, just thinking about the the history of the city and where we want the city to move um, in the future. And I think Jalen Brown's a really important part of that. Yeah, that, that's well said. I don't, I don't know that I have much to to add to that because my mind went to a similar place where, you know, I do treat a lot of the Jalen Brown, Kevin Durant rumors as like, it's a business, you know, here it is. But there is that, that other, that other element that, that goes into it. And, you know, a, a spiritual ancestor of Bill Russell does seem to be Jalen Brown in the way that he approaches life. He approaches his responsibility as, you know, a, a public f- figure to be extremely thoughtful in his actions, his words, and the way that, you know, he, he approaches his life. And so, you know, it's, it, it's a tough day or a tough couple of days since the, since the news for, for Celtic nation. Um, but you know, we, we were blessed to have Bill Russell in our lives. And even though we didn't get to see him play because of our age, you know, we've seen the highlights, like you said, but you know, I, I think of that interview that he did with, with KG one-on-one after KG had, had come to the Celtics. And there's a moment in there where, you know, he's, he's really celebrating the way KG goes about his business, his mentality, the way he prepares. And there's a really heartfelt moment in there where, you know, Bill's like, I, I, I fully believe you're going to get one, if not multiple championships here, but if you don't, I'll give you one of mine. And it's one of the coolest, most genuine interactions from two individuals of that stature. And, you know, Bill Russell was, he was one of a kind that, that laugh that Adam mentioned, that's one of my favorite parts of, you know, some of these clips that are coming out is his laugh is, you know, I, I just, I'm just looking, I hear it once and you're like, I got to hear it again. I got to hear it in a different scenario because it, it just kind of brings this, this, this joy to you. So, you know, it's a, it's a sad, it's a sad situation, but uh, those memories of, of Bill Russell will live on forever. Will people say very similar things about your laugh? Yeah, no, they don't. Uh, it's 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 despicable. It's despised in many circles around the world. Have I not heard your laugh properly? I I mean, I I hope you have heard my laugh at this he, point. We've been he, podcasting he for two years. <laughs> there it is, right there. Yeah, the laugh's just like a happy, jovial little like chortle. It's fine. It is. It is. It is a chortle. It's definitely a chortle. Will had many a teachers that didn't appreciate him and his laughter. Yeah, my my, my laugh has been criticized for for years. Really? I well, it's just, it's just, it's just like no one. It's, it's almost borderline evil at times. Like when I'm happy <laughs> around my friends, no one's happy for me. Every, yeah. Everyone's like, "How do we?" He's, got this he's too happy. He's, he's got too this happy. Mark, like when we play video games, nobody wants Will to win. Or you play board games because he he can't he can't control his face. He's just like always smirking when he's winning at something or when he knows he's about to win something. I mean, then beat me. I mean, that's the, that's, that's the answer. Then beat me. <laughs> no, it, it, it makes people want to beat you for sure. But what, one last thing about the, um, you know, where our minds went when we got the news of Bill Russell, I always love when, you know, you're allowed to find space to revisit the past because you're so caught up in the now, you know, and in the future and what, what you're going to do. But I think with Bill Russell, when, when 
when he passed. And obviously I was on, you know, summer vacation right now. So I had a little extra time, but it sent me down a YouTube rabbit hole and it started with Bill Russell, but then it went to Larry Bird. Then it went to Bill Walton. And I ended up on like watching hours of Bill Walton highlights from when he was like MVP of the Blazers. I watched like a whole like 20 minute thing about Bill Russell's greatest moments in the finals. Man, I mean, Bill, Bill Walton's greatest moments in the finals. Man, Bill Walton was a heck of a player, man. I haven't watched enough of his enough of his highlights from before his injury, but even him on the 86 Celtics with Bird, some of those passes that they would they would run. I would love for the Celtics, the, the current Celtics, to go back and watch some of that tape because man, Bill Walton was a heck of a player too. But this is why I get so frustrated, man, when you're online and you're like, oh, well, they were playing against farmers and lawyers and there was no real competition. Like, no, dude, like some of the, the best players in history played in that era. I see people say it about Jordan. Look, Jordan didn't have to go up against superstars. I'm sorry. Was Patrick Ewing not a thing? Like, was when Larry Bird was there, you know, you, and before Bird, like, Bob, you've got Kuzi, you've got Havlicek, and they're going up against guys like, um, you know, you've got Kareem, you've got Wilt, you've got, my, my brain is just dying here, Jerry West, Pete Maravich. There was just guys littered all over the league that were still high-level, elite guys that maybe they're not going to be superstars in today's league because it's a completely different game. But it's so tough. Like the era conversation to me is always so it's impossible. Flawed. It's so flawed yeah. because, you know, they didn't have. OK, so so if, if we're just saying they couldn't play in today's game, could the guys that we're talking about today, like go back and, and play in those times with those same resources? Yeah, without like, the sports science. And- exactly. Like like as much as Steph Curry would be a wizard if you took him from, you know, today's game and put him next to Bob Cousy. OK, now. Now. Pretend he's growing up with, you know, the same circumstances that that Bob Cousy or some other player of that time went up with. There was no AAU ball. There was no, you know, all these shooting coaches, Uh, you know, like there isn't all of these other resources that go into it. So I think if you're saying, you know, for for people that don't always think a Jerry West or whoever it might be or Bill Russell, whatever, could play in today's era. It's like, well, remember, you got to give them those opportunities that the players today have as well. And most of them, especially when you I mean, when you watch at Bill Russell's athleticism and of course it sticks out you know, dramatically for, for that day and age, but you just take that athleticism and give him the resources. He's going to find a way to, I don't know if he'll be the, the, the Bill Russell from before, because there was only, you know, 14 teams in the league and now there's 30, but you know, he's still going to be a high impact guy with those resources. So that era conversation to me is, is just always filled with so much gray area that no one ever wants to to truly address. And bro, you, you mentioned Steph Curry, Steph, there wouldn't have been a Steph Curry back then. Because Steph Curry, his career was saved from sports science and the fact that they were able to figure out how to prevent ankle injuries for him. He had glass ankles, you know, so if you put Steph Curry back in the 1960s or 1970s, he probably plays two years. Yeah, and, and he wouldn't have been allowed to take the shots that he does. It's a horrible shot. But that's, you know, that's that's going to be the shot where they're like, no, that's, I'm sorry. Even if he makes it, they're going to say, no, that's, there is no three point line. So why, why are you shooting from 40 feet away? You know what I mean? So it, it just, it doesn't equate. There, there's, I don't know, there's a lot of nuance to it that everyone chooses to ignore. And that's always my issue, it's, which I know it came up recently bro, it's, with it's, Draymond it's, Green and such. It's 100% ego. That's all it is. Yeah. It's just all these athletes that have insane egos. As, as they should, you know, they're, they're professional athletes and that's probably what drove them to success, but now they can't let go of that ego. And they're now they're just like, our air is better. It's, it's, it's a stupid conversation for sure. I mean, the last thing I want to put on this is if you like, first of all, Steph Curry had to rework his shot in college. Cause it was so bad coming out of high school. Like that's a fact when he was, I think he was at Davidson. If I remember, yeah, that's and, um, he had to rework his shot from the final year of high school. So would that be his senior year? Mm-hmm. So for between his the summer between his senior year of high school and his freshman year at Davidson, he went and worked with a shooting coach for the entire summer to to alter his shot so he stopped getting blocked on every on all of his releases. It's it's it, you can it's an accessible fact that doesn't exist if you're back in in that era because you don't have the shooting coaches to just mm-hmm. you know go and find them. And then if you put Bill Russell in today's era. And he grows up with the AAU and the sports science, the nutritionalists, uh, people understanding calisthenics and explosive body movements and stuff. He looks like Robert Williams on Super Saiyan level four or Super Saiyan Ultra Instinct. It's God mode Robert Williams. <laughs> like it, it's ridiculous. So yeah, I agree. I think that's a it's it's definitely a conversation that a lot of people gloss over the nuances to make their point. 
Uh, I still found it hilarious when JJ Reddick said, if you put Steph Curry next to Bob Cousy, people will look at him like he's a literal wizard. I found that hilarious because it was on TV. Uh, and I was like, they would. They would look at him like, what is this wizardry? How are you scoring from halfway down the court? But at the same time, they'd be like, yeah, that's all well and good as like a parlor trick if you want to impress some girls after a night out at the bar. But yeah, every try- every referee would call him for a carry on every dribble. <laughs> yeah, <dude. laughs> I think uh, I think we can end it there because I'm sure we've we've made a few of the listeners irate right now and they're they're rage punching their steering <laughs> wheels. How dare you? Um, so we can leave it there. I've enjoyed this show. I've had a good time. Yeah, man, you came in with the good vibes and we kept them going throughout. I mean, I'm usually in a really good mood anyway. I'm just a little bit more subdued. And, uh, you know, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, to be fair to you, you know, you're on a completely different um, timeline than we are. You know, it's late at night for you right now. It's four o'clock in the afternoon for me. Right. So. <laughs> Do you know how much those two time zones are merging into one for me at the moment? I was saying this to Zoe earlier today. I was like, every time i look at the clock i see it's like i see two different times so i look at the clock now it's 1002 it's 502 eastern i instantly all the time i'm living on you're just doing the you're doing the calculations in your head even if you don't need to it's just an automatic uh so i know where i am in my day and i know where i am in my day on two different time zones and it's constant and i'm just like dude i need to move so i can merge these time zones to one (laughs) because otherwise i'm gonna be like on my headstone you're gonna need to put the two different or my death certificate (laughs) you're gonna need two different time zones because i'm gonna be like well what's going on what 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 happens if uh if you pass away and it's like one day in one area and one day in another. You're going to have two different dates. Yeah, I'm a time traveler. I'll be the first one. <laughs> Adam <laughs> Taylor in the multiverse of madness. I'm telling you, dude, I'm not, I'm immortal anyway. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> have you ever watched Highlander? I've never seen Highlander. No, no, where you can be only one. It's like the nineties where they were all. I, I I know. I do know the cool. There can only be one Highlander. I know that just because yeah. it's referenced so much, but I've actually never yeah, seen. It's one of those movies that I used to lie about having seen, but now. I don't <laughs> so it's one of those movies that isn't really that great, but there's like three of them, and if I watch one, I'm like, I got to do the lot. So I. <laughs> So you watch them through and like, you know, like I remember watching them when I was like eight and like to, to kill an other immortal, you need to decapitate them. So I'm like, why was I allowed to watch this at eight years old? What was going on? <laughs> like, and then I think back and I'm like, nah, man, I remember sneaking the cassette tape upstairs during like middle of the day and like just putting it on and listening for people while I watch people have sword fights and chop each other. I'm like, it was brilliant. <laughs> cassette tapes what a throwback there i found a bunch of home videos when i was back in boston yeah. recently got a got a bunch of cassette tapes i'm gonna try and digitalize and and get them uh maybe maybe we'll share some if i can find some good clips hey, look how far we've come man we were on cassette tapes I, yeah I, maybe got, we, start, we started with nostalgia and we're ending with nostalgia i've got vinyls behind me right now lots of them there we go Right then, everybody have a good day. Make sure you tune into the next episode because we're going to be on Dr. Dre until the next episode. Deuces. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrate.